Hello, and welcome to Afternoonified, the podcast equivalent of holding a flashlight under your chin. I'm Emily. And I'm the bunny man. Um... <laughs> No, I'm not the bunny man. Spoiler alert. Isn't there a movie about the bunny man? Probably. I feel like there's a short film or something. I don't know. There's got to be something about the bunny. I know I, I talked about him a little on Booha way, 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 way back in the day, but I don't remember a goddamn thing. Well, Emily, how are you today? Uh, you know, things are weird. Aren't they always? Well, yeah, I expect they're about to get weirder. I mean, they usually do. That's That's why we're here. Uh, we're going to talk about some local legends today. Well, I will say this is really, this is one of those episodes I do where I'm too lazy to research one thing, like one big thing. So I'll just like make a list of like 10 things and research a little bit about all of them. I mean, I like the potpourri episodes. I like them. I like when other podcasts do them. So that's what we're going to do today. I will say this list um, was not taken directly from, but definitely inspired by a list on Atlas Obscura called 24 Extremely Local Cryptids You've Probably Never Heard Of. Uh, so big shout out to them. I also pulled some from a Mental Floss article called 16 Cryptids That Might or Might Not Exist and an article in Thought Catalog. Here are the creepiest monsters from every state. Uh, I also leaned heavily on Wikipedia and Cryptid Wiki, my favorite website. <laughs> so the first cryptid we have to talk about today is the Maryland Goat Man. Have you heard of this one? Um, not Maryland specifically. The The phrase Goat Man sounds familiar. I'm pretty sure there was a lore episode about this way back in the day. Um, but yeah, there are several Goat Man. We're going to just talk about the one from Maryland because that's the weirdest one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, extra sources for this uh, little segment are an article in the blog The Washington Washingtonian called The Goat Man or His Story Still Haunts Prince George's County and an article in Modern Farmer <laughs> called Maryland Did you just say Modern Farmer? Okay. Uh, and it's called Maryland's Goat Man is Half Man, Half Goat and Out for Blood. This is a good article. It's <laughs> a little clickbait. Clickbait. <laughs> Uh, so an axe-wielding half-goat, half-man has been known to stalk the roadways of Prince George's County, Maryland, even if no one can really agree what his origin story is. Uh, and this is going to be a trend. Uh, so brace yourselves. Uh, so some versions of this legend claim that he was a farmer who, in an act of revenge, slaughtered the teens that had killed all his goats. Which is a very kind of psychopathic thing for a bunch of teens to do. But Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like in Carrie when those high schoolers had to kill the pig to get the blood. Yeah. It's weird. Um, others believe he's an old hermit or a mythical figure akin to Bigfoot. This will also be a trend. <laughs> Uh, so, the most famous version of the legend, though, maintains that the goat man was a scientist at the local Beltsville Research Agriculture Center, and he was disfigured by a horrible experiment that ended up with his DNA being fused with the DNA of a goat. This is just a shitty Spider-Man. <laughs> this is goat man. This is, is he related to Spider-Ham? Yes. Chance. Yes, they're cousins. So this center is actually like an active USDA facility. They've actually had to publicly deny the story, which is how ridiculous it is. Can you imagine being that PR person? Just, Just like, like I, we have to make questions? a statement about... Yeah, how many questions am I going to have to field about the goat man? Uh, he is reported to specifically haunt the area near Fletchertown Road, and of course he... His big thing is terrorizing teenagers in cars, because that's just kind of what cryptids do. Yeah, isn't uh, that what Mothman's deal was for a while? Yeah, lots of lots of car chasing. So stories of Goatman sightings will breed like your typical urgent urban legend. And one, like two couples were out on a date. They heard scratching just outside the car. And when they turned on their headlights, they illuminated the goat man and he was wielding an axe. Uh, it chased after him and even managed to hit and scratch their car, but they made it out unscathed. I'm picturing just a dude with the head of a goat, but like he's wearing like overalls and... Oh, you know those like horse masks, but with a goat? Yep. And then yeah, yep. dressed as a farmer. That's about yep. right. Okay. Uh, there's another, they call them reports, but I feel like it's just like stories. Stories. Because it's like, this one is, a boy chased his baseball that had rolled into the woods. Um, So he like, yeah, his baseball rolled into the woods. He chased after it. He later ran out screaming uh, and told his mom that he saw, quote, the dark thing that stands in the corner of my room every night. Yeah, that's not so much a report. 
as a child who needs to go to therapy. That too. It's likely, of course, the Goatman, Goatman legend goes way back, but um, at least in this particular corner of Maryland, uh, its heyday was in the 1970s. So the first media mention we see of the legend was in an October 1971 article in the Prince George's County News, uh, when a local journalist did did a deep dive into the University of Maryland folklore archives. Uh, the article mentions the goat man, but it mostly talks about like some other ghosts and stuff in the area. You know, with this taking place in the 70, uh, 70s, I'm pretty sure acid played a part I mean, in goat man. It could. <laughs> uh, not coincidentally, the second media mention of the goat man comes exactly two weeks later when the headline, Residents fear goat man lives, dog found decapitated in old Bowie. <laughs> in the same paper. Jesus. This is, to be fair, a gruesome story, but also, like, do you think they would have blamed it on the goat man if they hadn't had an article about the goat man in the paper, like, the week before? Probably not. Anyway, so a local family called the Edwards, they had been searching for their missing dog, Ginger, only to find it find it dead near Fletchertown Road without its head. Very good. Yeah, not great. Uh, a group of teenage girls, including the Edwards' daughter, April, claim to have heard strange noises and to even have seen some kind of animal-like creature the night the dog had gone missing. Well, will- yeah, there probably was an animal. It probably was, yeah, like, I don't know, a coyote? I don't know what's in those parts. That's Yeah, big. I don't know what they not have bears. up there. But yeah. She's convinced it was a goat man. Uh, okay, this story was covered by the Washington Post. That's my little kicker to the end of that article. The Washington Post. Democracy dies in darkness. I mean, that's, that's where I got my, you know, election news. So it's <laughs> I guess it's also where I'll get my goat man news. Reliable goat man news. <laughs> okay, our next creature is the White River Monster. Uh, so sources for this one are About You magazine, uh, Encyclopedia of Arkansas, and The Skeptical Inquirer. I assume the Encyclopedia of Arkansas is a very <laughs> short series. <laughs> there are two things, because no one in Arkansas can... Re- no, <laughs> I'm not going to make fun of the people in Arkansas. It's not Mostly. your fault. Mostly. Uh, so the White River Monster, affectionately known affectionately known as Whitey by no. locals, because people in the South clearly have no self-awareness, <laughs> no. is a legendary creature that hails from Newport, Arkansas. Does he own, like, a used car lot? You know, married, three kids? Because the first sighting of the monster was in 1915. Uh, It was described as having gray skin and was as wide as a car and three cars long. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of car? I don't know. Whatever cars existed, the Model T, I don't know. I hate it when people use stuff like that as a reference for, like, I don't know how big a fucking football field is. Just tell me how big it is in yards. Uh, there was some talk of building a net to capture the creature, but the project fizzled either due to lack of funds or lack of enthusiasm. <laughs> kind of never materialized. It was materialized. definitely lack of funds. Are you kidding? People in the South passing an opp- opportunity to go hunt something they don't understand? <laughs> Despite a handful of sightings in the intervening years, the legend only really took off in 1937 when Bramlett Bateman, hmm. uh, who owned a plantation near the river, reported seeing the creature himself. This <laughs> very much a Lyle Landley sort of character. <laughs> uh, the White River Monster had apparently grown in the intervening years and was now the size of a boxcar and as slick as a slimy elephant without any legs. Gross. Uh, what? <laughs> I don't know. Bateman even went as far as putting his name on a signed affidavit insisting he'd seen the creature. And after his report was corroborated by a dozen or so other folks, including a Jackson County deputy sheriff, locals, as they do, descended on the banks of the river. Uh, Many left convinced they'd seen the creature themselves and soon armed citizens were patrolling the banks 24 hours a day. What is it about human beings where it's like, oh, here's an animal we've never seen before. Let's kill it. Let's kill it. America. Yeah, it's not even just in the South. It's everywhere. It's everywhere, really, honestly. Yeah, this is not going to be the last time you hear this. That's literally the plot of Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) Uh, So this lasted about a week before Bateman smartened up and started charging 25 cents a head, which I think might have been uh, some motivation for reporting the sighting in the first place. Yeah, I was going to say that might have been the plan all along. Uh, It sounds like a fun time, though, because someone else built a dance floor at the river's edge like they brought in a band they started selling barbecue and like drinks like specialty drinks (laughs) i could go for some barbecue (laughs) sounds great right 
Uh, they did send a professional diver down to search the river. Like, they gave him an eight-foot eight harpoon <laughs> just in case. Sure. Uh, but he found no evidence of the monster. And eventually, like, the novelty wore off and everyone just kind of went back to their lives. Uh, it wasn't until 1971, again, that reports of a monster in the White River began to surface again, even stranger than those back in 1937. Again, maybe some acid involved. Maybe. A little. Witnesses reported seeing a great creature with a horn sticking out of its forehead, uh, while others described it as having a spiny back. Uh, there was also a trail of three-toed, 14-inch prints that appeared at the river's edge. Many were convinced they belonged to the creature, despite earlier sightings being very clear that the White River monster didn't actually have legs. Um, a theory. He grew them? <laughs> no, it's a big catfish. Put a pin in that. <laughs> Still, uh, the sightings captured enough attention that in 1973, the Arkansas Senate passed a resolution establishing the area as the White River Monster Sanctuary and Refuge and Don't made it they illegal. they have more important legislature to deal with during that time? In the 70s, absolutely not. This made it illegal to molest, kill, trample, or harm the White River Monster while in its need of retreat. They should probably just have a don't molest anything law. Maybe don't be mean to animals. So yeah, there are a couple theories as to what the White River Monster actually was. Um, catfish is a good one. Uh, the ones I heard were either an elephant seal that had found its way off from the Gulf of Mexico. Oh. Or much more likely a Florida manatee. Oh, I love a good manatee. All right. Can't believe they think a manatee is a monster. They have the cutest faces. They're yeah. The biggest, dumbest looking animal ever. And I love well, them. Well, except for dugongs. Oh, they're also them. <laughs> so our next story is not exactly a cryptid, but it's cryptid adjacent. Uh, have you heard of the melon heads? Oh, my God. Um, vaguely. Right. Okay. So sources for this are the New England Historical Society and also Weird Ohio. The historicals? Oh, God. <laughs> so melon heads are a legend with roots in Michigan, Ohio, and Connecticut. And while the stories vary a little bit depending on who's telling it and where they're from, they're generally described as like small humanoids with bulbous heads that live in forested areas and survive on small animals, stray cats, you know, the occasional teenager. Yeah. You know. Animals. <laughs> uh, so in Michigan, legend has it that melon heads were originally children with hydrocephalus who lived in an insane asylum near the Felt Mansion in Sagatuck. Uh, so after years of physical and emotional abuse, the children either A, became feral and were just released into the woods, because <laughs> that's what we do, um, or they actually devised a plan to escape and killed the doctor who was torturing them, uh, cutting up his body into tiny little pieces and scattering them around the mansion. I think that was the plot of an episode of, like, Supernatural in season one. Season one? Not not, not, not with Melonhead specifically, but... But with pieces of people? With um, the patients of a mental asylum who were being oh. abused. Oh, yeah, that's like the first episode of Supernatural I ever saw. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. I prefer the good one, one with the painting that comes to life because it's weird, but... The painting is also... Man, like, season one Supernatural was so good. It's quality. Season one to, like, season six? Well... I would always say, like, season one and season two are really, really good. Season three to, like, five are passable. And then I stopped watching it season yeah, seven. I, I was like, what is happening anymore? <laughs> no hate on Supernatural. Like, I, I'm not going to judge people for enjoying Supernatural, but... Yeah, fifteen I, I seasons. <laughs> fifteen. Uh, anyway, um, there was never actually an insane asylum anywhere near Felt Mansion. That's never stopped anyone. <laughs> no, it never does. Uh, so the Ohio legend, which is based primarily in the Cleveland suburb of Kirtland, is very similar. It's children suffering from hydrocephalus. Um, under the care of a very sadistic doctor. The Ohio legend comes with a bit more detail. Uh, so I'm going to read an excerpt from but before Weird we Ohio. Do, what is hydrocephalus like specifically? It is like water. It is a swelling in the brain or like in the skull where like just you get a lot of water in the brain or liquid on the brain. So there's a lot of water between like your skull and your skin. So it looks weird. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I can't remember exactly what's supposed to cause it, but like it's some bacterial. Sometimes shit just happens. I feel like it's one of those diseases like mosquitoes can spread. I don't know. It, it's not really a thing frequently in the United States anymore. Google it on your own time, guys. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this is from Justin B. The story, as I have heard it, is that Dr. Crow was a doctor who practiced medicine out of his house in the early to mid-1800s. He'd either been given these kids with mental problems or he had kidnapped some kids. Again, heard it both ways. 
Uh, he then ran experiments on them, injecting their brains with water. This caused the kids to become even more nuts and their heads to swell up like melons. He kept them locked away in cages in a green bar next to his house. Now, at this point, the story gets a little fuzzy. You know, d- just at this point. Just at this point. At no point We've gone through like three different origin stories, but this is where the story gets a little fuzzy. Uh, either the barn burnt down in an accident and a few of the melon heads escaped, or the barn is still there. Uh, and he says, I've yet to visit the old crow house, so I don't know if the barn is still standing or not. I am more than am more inclined to believe it burned down. That's just your opinion, man. <laughs> anyway, these melon heads still roam the area out near the Holden Arboretum. Uh, supposedly, supposedly, they come out only at night, and if it's a full moon, they are extremely vicious and will attack any humans they see. That's not how people work, but okay. However, they have a hard time seeing. If you wear dark clothes, blacks, reds, dark greens, and blues, you will be safe. But if you have on any bright colors or white, you are a prime target. They're people, not a (laughs) T-Rex. Usually, they just attack deer and other forest animals for their food. But on those rare full moon occasions, they will attack and rip a human limb from limb if they find one. Jesus Christ. This is a story I've heard from numerous sources. I have gathered many stories from people who have been out there and from just people who know the myth. <sighs> it's just very indicative of like, so here's like four different origin stories. And like, I've heard this. I've never been to this place, but I think this is what's happened. <laughs> I found like the weird US site when I was probably like 13, 14. And like the stories on it used to scare the hell out of me. And I was reading a lot of them back now. And it's like, there's nothing here. <laughs> like I had to search for like a good Melonhead story. A lot of them were like, I was driving and I saw someone on the side of the road and he ran away. I mean, creepypasta used to be scary too. Yeah. It reached a point where you're just scraping the bottom of the barrel. (laughs) Uh, So Connecticut melon heads have very similar origins. Uh, There is one version of the legend that's a little different, where they are instead the descendants of a colonial era family that was accused of witchcraft. So like they were banished into the wilderness and survived through centuries of, you know, Fun stuff like cannibalism and inbreeding. For some reason, that's the more believable of all of the stories. Right? <laughs> and also the one that I'd watch a movie about. Most of the state's melonhead folklore typically typically revolves around either the Fairfield Hills, Fairfield Hills State Mental Hospital or any number of secluded single-lane roads running through a wooded area. Again, this is going to be a trend we see a lot. <laughs> like, just with Goatman and, like, Fletchertown Road, like, the melonheads have a road. Melonheads actually have, like six different roads and six different towns. That's because they were smart enough to franchise. Um, a lot of these roads are actually referred to as Dracula Drive, despite the fact that this is not a road that exists in any of these municipalities, but it's spooky, I guess, if you're a teenager. Who would name a road that? Teenagers. Yeah. Uh, it is, of course, very popular for teenagers, not only in Connecticut, but in Ohio and Michigan, to drive down these roads looking for melon heads. Uh... Maybe it's because I grew up somewhere where there was, like, shit for teenagers to do, but... No, I mean, like, we had a haunted house, and you would, like, drive past it to spook yourself out. I mean, I'm sure people actually, like, went up to it, but it was, like, an active museum, and you'd probably be arrested, but... (laughs) Some... I mean... Emily, I cannot understate how much of my teenage years were spent just driving around. Yeah, we didn't really (laughs) do that. Yeah, that was there was nothing else to do unless you were drinking, which I was not in those days. Yeah, I feel like in in like the town where I grew up, you know, it was also a small like farming town. You either like hung out at the Dairy Queen a lot or you got pregnant. <laughs> yeah, sounds about right. Or you did both. Did not have to be exclusive. No, I mean, you could do them at the same time, honestly. Uh, so melon head type stories are, of course, not exclus- exclusive to these states or even to the United States. Um, there are stories of melon heads living in Bavaria and England as far back as the 19th century. Uh, a theory kind of about like why we are fascinated by these stories is that they stem from good old-fashioned prejudice. Yeah. Uh, so like many of the legends surfaced just after World War II when people were moving away from cities and into what had formerly been rural parts of Connecticut. So like the melon heads... They might simply be like this very extreme reflection of what kind of people anxious New Yorkers thought awaited them in rural Connecticut. <laughs> you know, <sighs> they're they're inbred and they kill like sadistic mental institution doctors. I mean, maybe not to that extreme extent, but like if you think about how people from like the coasts and stuff think about 
like Appalachia. Yeah. You know, um, it's not all winter's bone out there. No, sometimes there's just people trying to live their lives. Sometimes there's just people who don't like drive fancy cars and drink a lot of Starbucks. Like, it's fine. Classism. Yeah. Story of the world. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Our next creature, the Loveland Frogman. He sounds Uh, nice. This is my favorite one on the list, I think. Uh, So this, uh, also with an assist from Weird Ohio. Uh, So Ohio, at least from various lists I found, has a whole bunch of local cryptids, and most of them are basically Bigfoot. Yeah, I mean, everyone wants to chomp Oregon's flavor. I get it. Yeah, and it's so boring. It's just, it's boring and unoriginal. But you know what is original? Frogmen. See, I'm picturing, I, I think Shane Hosey drew it for... Um, like a, it was a haste pre-made character named Frogner and it was just like a big buff Kermit and that's kind of just what I'm picturing. You're, I don't think you're that far off. You Listen to the story and you tell buff me. Buff Kermit? So the legend of the Loveland Frogman dates back to 1955 when, again, this is... It's framed as a report, but it sounds like just a story people have told. The whole idea is that an unnamed businessman... <laughs> reported a bizarre middle-of-the-night sighting. Uh, so while driving down a stretch of road, always, again, a stretch of road somewhere, outside of Loveland, Ohio, the man supposedly witnessed three creatures congregating by the side of the road. He described the creatures as bipedal and quasi-reptilian, with leathery skin and webbed hands and feet. Each had distinctly frog-like heads with deep wrinkles where their hair should have been. As he watched, one of the creatures held up a wand... Uh, conjured up some sparks, at which point our protagonist unnamed businessman got the hell into his car and drove away. (laughs) Did you just say pulled out a wand? Pulled out a wand. So not only are there frogmen, they're magic. They're magic. They're magic and they use tools. I think it was Cryptid Wiki like tried to really make this more serious. It was like, they described it more as like, a long instrument that could only be described as a wand in what appeared to be sparks, like flew from the end. <laughs> I was like, so he pulled out a wand and he made some sparks. <laughs> this is the origin story of the Loveland Frogman. <laughs> All right. I'm into it. In March of 1972, a police officer named Ray Shockey reported his own sighting of the frogman. Or, well, just one this time. It was just a singular frogman on his way to Loveland. Uh, so Shockey's headlights illuminated what he thought might be a dog until the creature stood up, looked at him, and leapt over a guardrail into the Little Miami River. Shockey described the creature much in the same way our unnamed businessman did. Uh, three to four feet tall, leathery skin, face like a frog. Uh, Shockey later returned with another officer, Mark Matthews, to look for evidence, but all they could come up with were some scrape marks leaning down the side of a small hill. I can't even think of what they might have seen. Oh, there's a there's actually a good explanation for it. We'll get to it. Oh, I cannot wait. <laughs> Two weeks later, Matthews would have his own encounter with the frogman when he spotted what he thought was an animal lying in the middle of the road. Uh, thinking was dead and intending to remove it, he got out of his car only for the creature to hop up into a crouched position, waddle over to the side of the road, <laughs> still watching the officer as it lifted its leg over the guardrail. <laughs> Matthews, being a cop and doing what cops do, shot it, pulled out his gun and tried to shoot it. <laughs> okay. He missed and the frogman escaped. Or... Maybe it didn't. Years later, Matthews would actually recant his story. So he claimed that actually he had shot the thing (laughs) and he'd killed it. And it turned out to be a very large iguana that was missing its tail. Oh. So like someone's pet that had escaped. Yep. And uh, iguanas can regenerate, right? Like I'm not making that up. I don't remember. Hold on. I'm holding a phone. Is that chameleons or is it iguanas? I think it's a lot of lizards can do that. Yeah. Yeah, iguanas and bearded dragons will drop and regrow their tails. Oh, so totally, yeah. Yeah. Um, My brother has a bearded dragon. Oh, I like lizards. Yeah, it's a very good pet for him. I would never have one because I know you got to, like, feed it live bugs, but I like the idea of it. Yeah, I guess they don't need fed very often, though. Well, I mean, that's a plus. So Matthews claimed that he had recounted this incident to an author of a book about urban legends, but that the author had apparently decided to leave out the whole part where they discovered the creature was an iguana. (laughs) So the whole sighting, just that his whole sighting had been blown out of proportion. Uh, There have been sightings as recently as 2016, uh, when local Cincinnati TV stations reported the most 2016 story ever, uh, that two teenagers playing Pokemon Go. (laughs) Oh, God, this again. (laughs) 
<laughs> that stood up and walked away on its hind legs. People were finding bodies and drugs <laughs> and bothering gravestones and seeing frogmen. Uh, according to Cryptid Wiki, quote, the location of this sighting da- casts doubt on its authenticity. <laughs> I love Cryptid Wiki. Uh, they are the first to admit that this whole thing is probably a hoax, or at least this most recent sighting, uh, citing the lack of precedent for a bipedal frog. <laughs> There's got to be some sort of lizard that can walk on its back two legs. I mean, maybe not in Ohio or wherever we're <laughs> Probably doubtful. Uh, one last parting note in my favorite fact in the entire story, in the entire episode. This is the fact of the episode. In May 2014, a musical was... <laughs> no. Sarah, no. Don't, fi- don't say what I think you're about to say. <laughs> a musical was penned about the Loveland Frog. <sighs> and its title is Hot Damn. It's... <laughs> Hot damn, it's the Loveland Frog. Is there a a copy of the performance anywhere online? I haven't looked, but I will. Oh my god, it just gets me every time. Hot damn, it's the Loveland Frog. Yeah. Oh, I need to see that. Um, I... I don't know how much information you have on this, but was the Loveland Frog played by a person? Like, was he the lead character? Or was it about someone <laughs> seeing the This is the frog? only information I have about this. It was a line in Wikipedia. I need to know if it's like an end of forgetting Sarah Marshall, like, puppet situation. Oh, boy. Do you want me to Google it right now? A little bit. Hot damn, it's the Loveland Frog. <laughs> I think the quote for this episode should just be, hot damn, it's the Loveland Frog. Oh, I'm going to cry again. All right, so here is... Okay, so this is a Cincinnati Fringe Festival production. Makes sense. Here's the uh, little teaser. Something is lurking in Loveland, the sweetheart of Ohio, where the disappearance of a strange old man has rekindled the hysteria surrounding America's most alluring cryptozoological phenomenon, the Loveland Frog. Join Luke Honeywell in a smoking bluegrass band on a riotous river adventure with maniacal moonshiners, crooked cops, and the last Twitey Indian as they rescue people. Bitch, that's just a ride at Universal. <laughs> From the wondrous and elusive Loveland Frog. There's pictures and it looks very low rent. Like, for real, it does sound like a, an attraction, like a, a local theme park. I'm going to send you a link to that so you can also enjoy these pictures. Does it have... Okay, good. It does have pictures. We'll put those on the Instagram as well. There's definitely some, like, silhouette puppet shows happening. <laughs> uh, this is amazing. Better than Hamilton. Okay. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think <laughs> Manuel gets a hold of it and, like, gives it a little revamp. It would be the perfect Muppet movie. Think it would about. be a great Muppet movie. Kermit has to go find his long-lost backwoods cousin. Okay. Thank you for that. That was... <laughs> Thank me for that, indeed. Our next creature is the Beast of Bray Road. So this is what I originally wanted to do the episode on, but there's not enough information for a full episode. <laughs> I have heard the name before, but that's it. I have driven near Bray Road. I think I passed it. Um, when I was a senior in college, I took a road trip with a friend to Chicago for a weekend. Like that was our spring break. Um, and on the way back, I made a point because <laughs> I had looked for roadside attractions on the way down and the way back. And on the way back, we stopped at like this UFO cafe and I should have looked this up. Um, Could you just say UFO cafe? It was a UFO, ca- UFO cafe. Just checking. In southeastern Wisconsin. But like they had all sorts of like alien themed dishes and uh decor and the guy who owned it like we me and my friend were the only two in the restaurant and he just came out and started talking about all the ufos he's seen and it was it was a trip but that was near this area of wisconsin so elkhorn area i can't remember exactly what town it was now but i've driven by bray road and the this feels local-ish to me i did not see the Beast, though. Uh, so, <laughs> the Beast of Bray Road, as you might assume, uh, takes its name from a rural drive outside the small town of Elkhorn, Wisconsin, where it has been rumored to appear. It is, by all popular descriptions, a werewolf, or at least a very large werewolf-like creature that stands seven feet tall and can stand on its hind legs. You always know it's a cryptid when it's something that shouldn't stand on its hind legs, but it's standing on its hind legs. I mean, that, that seems to be the common thread, is standing up. <laughs> Uh, so some believe, allegedly, uh, the legend may have originated with some of Wisconsin's first settler, first settlers who described being attacked by canine-like creatures who had vanished without a trace. Uh, those might have been wolves. 
before we know, you know, nearly hunted them to extinction. Uh, the first reported sighting was in 1936, uh, but the real heyday was in the 1990s. So drivers would report like seeing the bees crossing in front of their car, a crouched on the side of the road, snacking on some roadkill. Uh, animal animal mutilations were reported with like deer and livestock found partially eaten. Mm-hmm. This seems to echo like the chupacabra because that's about the time period that the that chupi kind of sprung. Yeah. Up in New Mexico and stuff. Yeah, it's very much a chupacabra in that it's got the same sort of flavor. <laughs> it's got that good, good chupy taste. <laughs> uh, one girl even reported that the beast had chased her through the woods, which sounds fake, but okay. It seems like maybe there was like a large uh, cat or something that was chasing her. I mean, it just sounds woods. like a, a story a little girl would make up. Yeah. But maybe. I don't know. Uh, one good story. In 1999, a teenage girl was driving down Bray Road when she apparently hit something with her car. Like, it bumped. <laughs> uh, when she stopped to see what she'd run over, there was nothing there. But standing on the side of the road was a massive wolf-like creature standing on two legs. Uh, when she rushed back to her car, the beast chased after her, jumping onto her trunk only to slide off as she sped away. So, I mean, that's that's legit kind of scary. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if I believe her, but it's a good story. I mean, that could be said of most of these stories. I don't know if I believe it, but... <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, it's all these stories. So Cryptid Wiki, my favorite website, actually takes <laughs> quite a few pains to point out that while the creature has been popularized as a werewolf, there's actually very little in the way of evidence for werewolves um, that cryptozoologists believe it is something more akin to a skunk ape or a Bigfoot, of which there is absolutely tons of evidence for. <laughs> Uh, this is their argument is like it's probably not a werewolf there's no evidence for werewolves you know there is evidence for big feet so maybe maybe there's just a lot of big feets and like they will be regionally mistaken You'll notice for something i have else. refused to put a bigfoot on this list <laughs> well it's because we did a whole episode about bigfoot yeah bigfoot is boring and then the last time we talked about bigfoot on this podcast it didn't go well for us <laughs> it did not let's not gonna not gonna nope. go there again nope uh more likely than not it is some combination of like the misidentification of wild dogs and classic mothman type hysteria uh because even that is more interesting than bigfoot yeah I mean, the the misidentification of dogs, maybe not so much as Mothman hysteria, but... Uh, oh, and my sources for that were Milwaukee Meg and Thought Catalog. Gotta call them out. Uh, our next story, finally, The Bunny Man. <laughs> uh, in my sources for this were Atlas Obscura and WAMU, which is a radio station, I think. Okay. Yeah, I was just trying to suss out what that, that was. It sounded better to like list all the letters and call it WAMU. <laughs> Which is maybe how they refer to it there. I don't know. Okay, so here's a story I read online when I was 12 that scared the ever-loving shit out of me. Oh, please tell. Back in the day, could be any unspecified decade, really, a group of convicts were being transferred from a nearby insane asylum. Because it's always an insane asylum. Well, yeah. Their bus crashed. <laughs> so most were either killed on impact or quickly apprehended. But two men, assumed, of course, to be the most dangerous, uh, managed to disappear into the woods. Or, well, one of them did. Not long after the crash, the body of one of the escaped convicts was discovered hanging from the Colchester Overpass, which is a rail railway bridge in Fairfax County, Virginia. As the weeks passed, local residents began finding the half-eaten corpses of rabbits hanging from the trees leading them to believe that the escaped convict was still in the woods, surviving on bunnies. Why would he hang them in trees and draw attention to himself? Because nothing in the story makes sense. All right. Point taken. A manhunt ensued, and the killer was eventually cornered near the same bridge, only to be struck and killed by a passing train before he could be arrested. I thought you were going to say by a passing bunny. <laughs> Revenge. <laughs> I'm just picturing the... What's the name of the bunny from, like, Monty Python and the Holy Grail? The, like... I don't remember. I can't remember what it's called, but it just, like, leaps up and, like, goes for people's throats. It's exactly what I'm picturing. Yeah, I was picturing, like, a really buff bunny. It's like, water ship, take you the fuck down. <laughs> uh, so later, on a Halloween night, not long after the killer's death, a group of teens, because it's always teens, were hanging out near <laughs> the bridge when, at midnight, there was a bright flash of light, and every single teen was later found gutted and strung up underneath the bridge. Gross. Which makes you wonder, how did they know there was a bright flash of light if everybody died? Don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, so, of course, even today, as the legend goes, you do not want to be caught underneath that bridge at midnight unless you want to find yourself hanging from it. I, so the bunny man is immortal? I guess. It's a ghost that kills people. So it was a normal man 
it was a normal man. And now it's a that kills people. Then he became a ghost, and now the ghost kills people who hang out at his bridge. Okay, that checks out. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the bunny man myth, obviously, if you haven't figured out already, is absolutely just an urban legend. Uh, well, I figured they didn't have, like, scientific, like, hair samples or anything. Uh, yeah, so the, there was never an insane asylum in the area. Uh, the date most people give for the bus crash, which is 1904, predates most buses. <laughs> So, I mean, this probably didn't happen. Um, it could have been a, a, a carriage bus. I was like, I was trying to figure out that out too. It was like, was there like a pre-car equivalent to car- like to buses? Like a really long carriage? Yeah, paddy wagon. Yeah, sure. Uh, so there actually, though, there might be a grain of truth at the center of the tale. It's not going to be no. anything similar to anything we just heard. But uh, in 1970, apparently, this is like actually reported in newspapers. So this is, has actual documentation. Uh, there was a couple parked in a driveway not far from the famous bridge uh, when a man appeared out of nowhere, accused them of trespassing and even like threw a hatchet into the car. Like through the windshield, I think. Yeah. No one was hurt, but like it was probably terrifying. Uh, the couple reported that the man seemed to be wearing something white or light colored and that there may or may not not have been something on his head okay so it was a man in those old-timey long johns with the butt flap yeah probably and a hat yeah <laughs> uh it's sometimes been interpreted as either like a kk kkk robe and a hood uh-huh. um but somehow at some point it became bunny ears <laughs> I mean, that's much more adorable than the racism. Yeah. Uh, Within a few years, like, local kids were already terrifying their friends with stories of man in a bunny suit chasing kids through the woods. So that's kind of where the legend sprung up from. I don't know why I just remember that scene from Bad Boys 2 when, you know, the one in the beginning. I've never seen Bad Boys 2, don't tell Sadie. It's it's okay. It was on TV when we were at the hotel for my birthday, but they're at... Like, it shows a big KKK meeting, and then all of a sudden, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith rip off KKK robes and just start shooting. I think shooting. I actually have seen. I've seen, like, a clip of this. And one of the KKK members is Michael Shannon, <laughs> and his character's name is Floyd Petit. Love it. So that's just what I'm, like, picturing is Michael Shannon. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Shannon. In old-timey Long Johns. <laughs> yes. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Okay, we've got a sea monster next, and it's Tahoe Tessie. (laughs) I feel like, oh man, no. Uh, Avalon and I talked about the one that lives in Crater Lake. Never mind. (laughs) I think, though, there is a boo-ha-ha episode surrounding Lake Tahoe. And because all of this, when I started reading it, like, I was like, oh, definitely Avalon talked about this. Yeah, this is your, that's your further reading is figure out what episode that is. Um, I'm sure if Avalon is listening to this, he'll tell me. If he remembers. Yeah, and we'll tweet it or something. But yeah, go listen to that episode of Boohaha because I remember being very good. I want to say it's one of Michael Garcia's episodes. Anyways, a, <laughs> a Tahoe Lake monster, you say? Yeah. So sources for this are Weird US and another radio station, KQED. Man, radio stations really picking up the slack on reporting yeah. on cryptids. They're doing great. Uh, so California's Lake Tahoe, just for some background, it is the second deepest lake in the United States. Do you know what the first deepest lake in the United States is, Emily? Crater Lake. Yes. <laughs> just, I thought I'd give you an opportunity to brag. It's one of ours. Uh, so it is a host to a number of mysterious legends. Uh, the best one is definitely their take on the Loch Ness Monster, a sea serpent locals have dubbed Tahoe Tessie. <laughs> I love it. I love that it's like Tessie. It, it's not. It's it's Nessie, but it's like Tahoe, so they call her Tessie. Hey Sarah, is that Loch Ness as an L? This is yeah. So L for Loch Ness. This is why this is probably on my brain today, and I will tell the story because it is good. Um, I was on the phone with my bank today talking about an issue with my escrow account and I was reading off like a serial number or an insurance number. Yeah. And there was an L in it. So I was trying to give like phonetic words for the letters to be clear. And the first word that came to my mind when I saw L was L as in Loch Ness. This was something I said to a grown adult about my escrow account. L is in Loch Ness, G is in Gary, M is in Mansi. Well, this has been a proud day for Sarah. You know, if only there was a system in place where they had a Save it for the words. mini, Emily. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, I'm never yeah. going to remember all the NATO ones either way. Anyway, so <laughs> Tessie is described as being between 10 and 80 feet long. You know, um, anywhere in there. <laughs> 
That's a range. That's a range. Uh, with a large serpentine body as wide as a barrel and color that ranges anywhere from jet black to dark turquoise. That's pretty. It's a snake. Right? Like, we know this, right? Uh, she lives in the deepest part of the lake and makes most of her appearances in June and even more in even numbered years because this monster has a calendar. <laughs> Oh, it's so cute to imagine her in her little lair with the calendar on the wall. It's June 2022. Time to come out. (laughs) Spends the whole week preparing. I love it. So she allegedly has her origins in the legends of the indigenous Washoe people. That seems fairly dubious. It's really only in the 1970s that sightings began to surface. Uh, So one of these in 1984, this one made the San Francisco Chronicle, because what are these newspapers writing about? Good Christ. Uh... Two women hiking above the west shore of the lake spotted a creature in the water. Uh, They described it as being 17 feet long and appeared to have a humped back. And they watched her as she surfaced three times like a little submarine. (laughs) She's so cute. So there's this legend surrounding Lake Tahoe that Jacques Jacques Cousteau once visited the lake and he did several dives in an actual submarine or a little bitty submarine. (laughs) So after one of these trips... He apparently returned to the surface and told his companions that, quote, the world isn't ready for what is down there. Uh, he refused to release any pictures in the expedition even after his death. Many have speculated that Costo might have been referring to the hundreds of corpses supposedly floating near the bottom of the lake. You know, you'd think they would figure that out. Uh, Maybe. Just because that's gross. Uh, so Tahoe was allegedly a dumping ground for mob victims and then like, 1920s to the 1950s and it uh, has like freezing cold temperatures so they don't really decompose they kind of gross yeah again allegedly whether or not like i don't know if you can really dive down to the bottom and see a bunch of bodies but like the article in the kqed started with like divers found a body of a man perfectly preserved and he had disappeared or he had drowned in the lake 17 years before so like it happens whether or not it's like a field of bodies I guess. Here's the thing. So Jacques Cousteau, people think if it wasn't the bodies, maybe he had an encounter with Tessie. Uh, this is doubtful because Jacques Cousteau has never visited Tahoe, Lake Tahoe in his life. I never that, did. That He's does dead. make it a little less believable. <laughs> uh, I don't think this happened. Maybe unless he visited it in a dream. I mean, a at dream this point, submarine. <laughs> sure. Why? Why not? Yeah, so similarly, any theories that Tessie might be a plesiosaur or other aquatic dinosaur that managed to survive to the modern day, not super likely. Um, Even like Tessie experts dismiss this idea because Lake Tahoe wasn't actually formed until after the last ice age, which was long after. Did you just say Tessie experts? Yeah, there are Tessie experts. I mean, I guess there are people who are like Batman experts. You can be an expert on something that doesn't fucking exist, but... I feel like when they talk about Tessie experts, they mean like locals who run shops that like sell Tessie souvenirs. (laughs) Yeah. That's the impression I got from that sentence. Uh, The more popular explanation is that Tessie is in fact a very large sturgeon. Okay. Why not? (laughs) Last but not least, and uh, I've been complaining about how boring Bigfoot is, but do you know the opposite of Bigfoot is? The Flatlands Monster. Oh, God. I forgot that we were going to talk about this. Yep. Uh, So thanks to History.com for some background on this, along with, of course, our original sources. Unlike most of the creatures on our list, the Flatwoods Monster, as far as I can tell, has has only been sighted exactly once. You can correct me if I'm wrong about any of this. I know you've done research. I have only done the Vegas research because it was for a Monster of the Week game that we weren't recording. So I was just mostly to entertain you Just guys. for funsies. All right. So here, the, here it goes. September 12th, 1952, near the town of Flatwoods, West Virginia, brothers Ed and Freddie May and their friend Tommy Heyer witnessed a bright object shoot across the sky and crash into a neighbor's field. They alerted their mother and together with a second pair of local boys who I guess just, kind of just tagged along. I, I don't know. Them and like a West Virginia National Guardsman who might have been a neighbor or something. His name is Eugene Lemon. They all went to the farm. <laughs> they wanted to see if they could find what had just fallen from the sky. Uh, and as the story goes, as they reached the top of the hill, they saw a pulsing red light. When Lemon shined his flashlight toward it, they found themselves face to face with a creature nearly 10 feet tall with a blood red face and a pointed hood Kathleen May later described as resembling the ace of spades. Or a vagina. Or a vagina. <laughs> it hands were, its hands were claw-like, also like a vagina. Actually, to be to be accurate, 
uh, it looks like a, a, vulva? a labia. Yeah. yeah, vulva, labia, that situation. So its hands were claw-like and its eyes emitted a greenish-orange light. It hissed at the group and glided toward them, at which point Lemon dropped the flashlight and everyone got the fuck out of there. Just a big red metal hissing labia. <laughs> Except, like, you, I'll, I'll post pictures of this on the Instagram. It looks like a lady in a dress with, like, a big hood and, like, big eyes. Like, it, it looks fucking weird. This is what I mean, like, by it's the opposite of Bigfoot, is, like, it is completely nonsensical in its design, and it, like, showed up once. There's one story about it, and we never hear about it again. I don't even have a theory for, like, a natural thing that it could be. I Oh, don't worry. I, I've got one. We'll get to it. Uh, the story, of course, made the local news because it's the 50s. What the fuck else are they going to talk about? Uh, it later got picked up by national radio and newspapers and Kathleen May and Eugene Lemon even traveled to New York to talk to CBS. So <laughs> I guess this was a big deal. It has since become a local legend despite no real sightings since. Uh, the encounter apparently prompted a U.S. Air Force inquiry as part of Project Blue Book. Yes, Project Blue Book. <laughs> I will I will get around to that at some point. I'm sorry, I just saw the picture you posted. <laughs> yep. I love that. In Tell case anyone's wondering, she just sent me some fan art of Mothman uh, saving the Flatwoods monster from something. It looks like Spider-Man and Gwen Stacy, honestly. <laughs> Same thing. It's great. Same. Yeah. Absolutely it's that kind of pose. Uh, anyways, so this in turn may have inspired Gray Barker, who's an author and ufologist who apparently, who wrote the first book about the Mothman. Because that time that period, guy. that era, area, yeah. Uh, Barker apparently introduced the mythology of the men in black after he heard that uh, the two Air Force investigators had shown up and, and they'd been in Flatwoods kind of asking questions about the monster under the guise of magazine writers. I talked uh, about the men in black in something and I can't remember High Strangeness, I think? Oh, High Strangeness, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're, yeah, they're Gray Barker's fault. <laughs> yeah, so he apparently invented this. Uh, <laughs> despite their interest, the Air Force quickly dismissed the sighting, concluded that, uh, concluding that the meteor the boys saw was just like one of many that appeared in the sky that night. Uh, in the monster itself was almost certainly an owl. Yep. Yep. Much like Mothman, it was just a fucking owl. <laughs> it's usually an owl or like some sort of mangy bear or... There's some like good historic, like interesting historical context that the history.com article kind of pointed out. Like this is an area or an era of such intense paranoia. It was like it was aliens. It was the common communists. It was nuclear weapons. So like you're already kind of primed to be suspicious of things. And when something kind of weird happens and you're on edge, you're going to think aliens it's the ufos oh, they've come to definitely. get us like but yeah it was probably just an owl one of my favorite things in, in in twin peaks is that um owls are like related to the black lodge which is related to like aliens and high strangeness and stuff so one of the recurring things is the owls are not what they seem <laughs> <laughs> i like that the owls are never what they seem yeah and things that aren't what they seem are usually owls yep it's usually owls <laughs> I would love to see an owl in person in the wild. I fucking love owls. They're so cute. Their heads turn 360 degrees. It's great. I also love bats, but I did not love being dive-bombed by a bat that one time, so... When were you dive-bombed by a bat? So, it was when I was working on Portlandia, and I was on my way to a set, which was, like, kind of... Like, not in the middle of nowhere, but it was... It was out there. Like, it, it took a while in the bus to get there. But as I was walking through this, like, residential area trying to get to the set just this fucking bat because it's like really early in the morning this bat just kind of swoops at me i mean i guess you're safe now but did you get a rabies shot i'm fine no i mean obviously the bat did not have rabies but they do this is a psa if you ever get like if you ever like get anywhere near a bat go get a rabies shot because usually if you see them or if they attack you it's probably because of rabies and if you don't like get on that you'll die I was a 22-year-old unpaid intern. Do you really think I had health insurance? I had a friend who was, like, at a winery and well, the same thing, like, was dive-bombed by a bat. And she was told, like, you go get your rabies shot immediately. Well, when I went to camp, like, Girl Scout camp as a kid, we had those cabins that just had, like, the three sides. So the front was open to the elements. And, like, there were bat boxes on the front of them for bats to hang out. And, like, sometimes the bats would, like, get up in the rafters and stuff. And uh, I, you know, ended up on the top bunk a couple times. So who knows? Maybe you're just immune to rabies. <laughs> they should study me. <laughs> well, that's all the creatures I've got, Emily. I 
That was a wild array. I, I really enjoyed researching this episode. I love stories like this. I don't believe any of them, clearly, but like I love, <laughs> I love reading about it. I mean, I have a soft spot for the Flatwoods monster just because of like the just the fucking weirdness just of it so all. Fucking weird. Like that's how they chose to describe it, which is insane. But yeah, uh, the Frogman. The Frogman. I mean, yeah, he, really- he has his own musical. I mean, how many? I mean, I'm sure there's a Bigfoot musical too, but like, how many cryptids have their own musical? There's got to be some sort of like. Oh, no, there was a Jersey Devil musical, I believe. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that's true. Um, I would be stunned if there wasn't some sort of Mothman type musical. Yeah, someone's made, like, or even just made a concept album about Mothman. (laughs) It's going to be Sufjan Stevens next. (laughs) Honestly, he's dropped the 50 States thing and now he's just going to do Mothman. Uh, That would, it would would be an instant hit. God, I would. I would love it. I would die. (laughs) I would literally die. Sufjan, if you're listening. This is only vaguely related, but I found out the other day that Cat Stevens is just a white guy from England. I did not know that. I have no familiarity with Cat Stevens, but... I, well, he goes by uh, Yusef Islam now. Oh, right. Yeah, I definitely would not picture that as a white guy from England. Yeah, I, I guess he, like, his family's Greek. Uh, <laughs> anyway, something I learned. Well, that's a that's a great fact in the episode on Emily. Speaking of other beasts, no, he's, he's <laughs> great. I love Cat Stevens. Um, all right. Uh, if you have a local monster that you would like to tell us about, please do. Please. Um, we are on Instagram at Afternoonified, Twitter at Afternoonified. You can email us at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. Uh, there's also getafternoonified.com where you can listen to old episodes. You can browse our merch. You can um, donate if you so choose. And uh, uh, remember to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of that stuff. The usual. And that's that's it. I think that's all of the things I say at the end of episodes. I, yeah, sure. I don't remember. <laughs> I'm not gonna, yeah. All goodbye. Right, goodbye. We love you. Oh, hello. It's me. Just kidding, it's actually me, Avalon, the host of Boohaha, which is a thing that I do, a podcast, if you will, that happens, some weeks, not all, don't wait up, it's fine, we'll call you, shut up. Anyway, it's about ghosts and tangents, mostly tangents, if I'm being entirely honest. So join me each and every week-ish as I gather the funniest people I know to a campfire that I build in my living room and then regale them with spooky tales of boogans and googas. Oh, also, it's a comedy podcast, if that wasn't clear from the vibe, you know. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is As Above, So Below.